Boom. We are live here on DLive on a beautiful Thursday morning in the far northern tip of California on the beautiful Smith River. How are you doing to uh, this fine morning, uh, Mr. Doc? Mr. Doc. Yeah, He's Mr. Doc. <laughs> How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm, uh, you know, we've got a lot going on. We're premiering our, um, as you know, our, our new booth tomorrow at one of the larger farmers markets in the area. So we've been pretty busy getting that all together. And then also just, you know, just trying to keep it all together with everything I'm up to uh, with the crypto project and all the other side biz and then trying to take Alpha Vegas to the next level. And I know you guys are super busy over there uh, across the way um, getting the Jagulan infrastructure all built out for us and everything else going on with uh, Alpha Vedic Botanic Gardens, huh? Yeah, big work day to day. Um, this weekend and next weekend, we launch our Seeds to Supper program with OSU. Uh, we're overseeing that where we're teaching lower income people how to grow their own food, we're doing gardening classes. Uh, besides that, we're doing local talks. We're giving one this Saturday on herbology and growing your own herbs. Uh, what else is going on? I'm involved with the permaculture program at OSU um, and mainly just trying to keep up with the work here. We have about two more weeks to get things in the ground. We have our old mature vines, the Jiaogulan, our signature herb that's uh, going crazy after three years at this location. I mean, it's just nuts. I've never seen anything. There's nothing in Asia uh, you know, China or Thailand, it even compares the the, lay, the, the leaves. <laughs> they love uh, I mean, seriously, we, we've we've got this dialed so that we know how to grow it, and it's growing better than where it's supposed to be from in the semi tropics to begin with. And we figured out how to grow it up here. And uh, you know, I was trying to remember a name. Uh, God, one of my early gardening mentors. I'll, I'll think of it. Uh, from Switzerland, and he started a whole methodology of gardening. And if people don't know Switzerland, it's it's very rigid uh, to the point of they regulate even what you're allowed to grow in certain areas, and um, and also they have rigid belief systems as far as what's possible to grow. So this guy was in the foothills of the Alps and growing these. Um, semi-tropical species and these things that are impossible and he was maligned by the local population and and you know just they thought he was crazy and and uh, you know it was a big deal to them and and then the government got involved and was trying to prevent it but he prevailed and grew Is all this these a, things was this that, a friend of yours someone you knew no 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 this was an old time or old school a predated permaculture uh you know, all the different things that are trendy now. So um, anyway, we'll talk more about him in the future because he's one of those uh, pioneers of uh, that, you know, again, uh, he was like between Steiner and permaculture, that kind of little time slot. So uh, we're doing that here. We're, we're growing things you're not supposed to be able to grow, but they're growing. Oh, there goes Mike. 
his dog's probably running down the street or something. I'll wait and until uh, he gets back. Sorry about that. <sighs> no worries. Dog. So I, I just, I just finished working up on my deck. <laughs> okay. So I was just finishing up saying that, yeah, things are flourishing here that aren't supposed to grow in this part of the world. And we're growing them even better than where they come from. And what's great is uh, we've uh, uh, it not only adapted, uh, adapted them to our piece of land, but they're working beautifully with all the natives and, and uh, with our whole overall design. So we're not bringing in invasive species that are going to take over the Northwest or anything. It's just, it's, it's working out great. So, so that's actually a, a great uh, kind of way to move into the topic of today which, um, you know, we're going to, I'm not going to go too crazy today because I know we've got a busy day, but I posted on scent yet last night, the concept of what a physic garden is and uh, how we will be launching a co-op as kind of a new business structure and a way to integrate folks into Alpha Vedic. And we've decided to call it the physic garden co-op. And um, yeah, there's been a lot of interest in this post and I related it to Steiner and all the way back as we mentioned on their website to Charlemagne and kind of the ancient medieval roots of herbology and how physicians back in the day all grew their own medicine and how we're kind of relating that to the modern times and the more uh, scientific um, strategies that we use in in relation Wasn't Charlemagne to Charlemagne a fifth cousin to you or something uh very well could be uh family line goes i'm you know i've got uh, some rich sorry i interrupted go ahead no that's okay no uh that would be interesting to see i've got some pretty trippy um you know it's funny you look at any anybody uh if i you know looks back at their bloodlines and be amazing what who you're connected with but um yeah uh so anyhow getting into these notions of herbology and growing your own medicine. Uh, it's fascinating stuff that we're now almost 2020 and these are like new ideas <laughs> to people. Um, the physic garden is an old European terminology that uh, had its corresponding um, uh, reality in Asian cultures too where physicians or practitioners of the healing arts always grew their own herbs because they knew there's no way to actually understand an herb for medical use unless you've grown up from seed to final preparation. And I can say myself, since we've always been farmers, uh, even in our uh, uh, clinic days where I was more in my career days, uh, we always grew our own things and a lot of medicinal herbs. And you just get to know a plant way differently when you do that. So the physic garden, uh, back then, people who in the healing arts uh, would think that no self-respecting physician would dare do medicines that he didn't grow himself. And so that's why the physic garden is the name of our cooperative because uh, we're going by the old adage, uh, if I can get it right, uh, let uh, food be your medicine and medicine be your food. So that's the heart of our whole co-op. 
And Mike, you explain the rest of it. Well, yeah, I mean, the idea is uh, building a, a business infrastructure where those who want to engage with us uh, on, a, on a deeper level can easily do that by joining the co-op. And this will allow for people to uh, not only access uh, more information, but join a community of people that have a little piece in the game for growing uh, this new paradigm, uh, no pun intended, where people uh, have more power over their health via things like growing their own gardens and, and, and cooperating with a company like us to um, not only provide wonderful products for health, but also uh, an education platform that um, can easily be taken into other communities uh, to help those in need that um, might not have access to uh, fresh foods and, and things like that. Because as you were mentioning with your friend in Switzerland, right? Uh, if you have the right knowledge and uh, techniques, you can grow food anywhere. And uh, especially in, in nutrient dense food at that, which is extremely important to, um, to realize that the nutrient density uh, is of utmost value. Uh, and so we're, that's something that we're really pushing is the understanding that it's not just going into Whole Foods and getting organic produce that is going to be the game changer. It's actually um, getting your hands in the dirt and taking responsibility for where the food's coming from that you're putting into your body. And, and in the experienced gardener will tell you that intention is the big thing. Like everything else in life, the more you mature at whatever endeavor you're talking about, you understand your intention uh, after you've had a certain amount of experience is what really makes things work. So I would say the novice gardener going out and trying to grow a subtropical species in the Northwest here, uh, you know, may not work too well, but once you learn the ropes and, and you get that experience and, and get the mechanical things down and it becomes second nature. And then you start really dialing into another level, just like a good athlete that's in the zone. You uh, have a communication with the plants that, supersedes any other kind of technique that you can learn in, in any school of agriculture. And plants uh, are, do represent real living intelligence. And uh, when you tune into that and realize that they will gladly cooperate with you, then all of a sudden pretty cool stuff starts happening, uh, like things growing where they're not supposed to grow and, and doing very well at the same time. So well, I was going to say too, on that level of intention, do you think there, there's ways to show connection? I don't want to say psychically because that gets a little woo woo, but uh, with your intention, you know, processing those energetics into the soil with, with your intention um, and harmonizing with that plant intelligence that you can actually create more vibrant food because of that fact that you're actually doing it yourself and that you're putting your own harmonious thoughts into the creation of of these um allow these plants to to flourish if that makes any sense totally but you can get into the science of it first off the psychic stratum you know people always when they want to think of things spiritual or whatever they use the term psychic psychic is the human garbage dump it's all the false beliefs uh toxic emotions and all the junk that literally settles in a certain 
stratum on the earth that we happen to swim around in and it affects us very toxically. And a lot of people that do channeling and that sort of thing, uh, which anybody, well, not anybody, but a lot of people could do if they really want to focus on it. Uh, you will turn, uh, tune into entities and, and uh, certain uh, things trapped in that area and they will speak to you and sometimes even give you some advice or, or information that seems pretty right on, but it's also skewed by uh, just all the stuff we muck around here with just in the collective humanity in the first place. Well, There's many, another many uh, mystics would call that the lower astral, right? That oftentimes yeah. you're tapping into. Yeah. Yeah. And your neighborhood psychic is, is usually tapped into that stuff and, or people that uh, say, Oh, in the past life, I was Edgar Casey or something like that. You know, they're, if they're not just complete charlatans, then they're, you know, they're, they're tapping into things and yeah, they're getting, uh, feedback, but it's not the kind of feedback that's really reliable or, you know, might even lead you astray. So the, the, the other level is to understand how it really works. So to address what you said, Mike, when you understand the thought-based universe, and we won't go, we'll spare everybody the, the waveform mechanics and everything, which I love to get into, but that shows that when you understand that, and now your analytical side can so appreciate it without any sense of doubt. Uh, and then you merge that with uh, what your heart or what your real intelligence uh, already knows. Then you realize that everything on this plane is under our direction. Everything, everything. You know, there's a, a little feedback we get sometimes with people that when we suggested even things like disease are under our direction they say oh well what about the poor guy that's born with this or the poor person that has this disease or the old person that's in a rest home you know uh, that's kind of cruel well no it's we're not blaming anybody but what we are uh saying is out of our own collective ignorance we don't understand how we put ourselves in those situations and rather than people taking offense at uh, information like that because they don't understand it. What they should understand, it's the most empowering thing they could possibly be exposed to because if we are in fact the creator of all that ails us, then we would quickly understand that we could not only fix it, but then create all sorts of things in a reality that um, is beyond poverty, limitation, disease, war, and, and all the stuff that we've been taught that, well, that just exists, you know, and man is naturally or innately evil. And that's just the world, the way the world was. Well, that's a bunch of BS. And so uh, going back to intention, no, we go back to the reality of we are the creator. And that isn't stepping on God's toes at all. If, if uh, people with more of a religious inclination want to take offense at that. But what we are saying is that no we are created in the image and likeness literally and we get to create free reign in our little place in the universe and so back down to ground level in your garden if you really get that and then if you've mastered the mechanics of any trade such as gardening then you merge the two and magic happens so we're not just apes that discovered mushrooms on a plane and, and boom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So going back to then the techniques and stuff of, you know, uh, taking your garden to the next level and merging it with these ideas. I mean, are there people out there using crystals in their garden and do, going to that level? Or um, is it merely just your intentions using by taking the next level of understanding the best techniques to grow enough or are there more kind of esoteric means to um, kind of deliver your consciousness into the plant forms? If that makes any sense. Getting a little trippy here. Yeah, not total sense. Uh, when I garden, I like to use digging bars and rakes and shovels. It just makes the job easier. They're tools. A crystal is a tool. Now, a crystal can be esoteric because you know, you've kind of dabbled in new agey stuff and, and, it's, and then you might even experience uh, some subtle results with it and everything. But when you understand how that crystalline subject or, or uh, object can actually be an amplifier and a recorder for thoughts and intentions, then it can be used intelligently just like a shovel. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so on the more pragmatic side, um, that is very pragmatic, by the way, but go ahead. Well, pragmatic in terms of um, uh, people that can kind of, you know, immediately take some some notes today and be like, oh, yeah, I could go easily do that. Um, one of the questions that people often are asking me are on the, um, uh, the, the vortex brewing we mentioned in terms of creating our own teas and stuff for the soil health. Um, what are some of the techniques you do there? And if you could go a little bit into that, and I'm not trying to, you know, downplay uh, the other things we're talking about. I'm just, um, to be honest, I'm uh, managing the live chat and doing lots of things too here. So trying to stay on top of it all. Okay, but no I, know we've, I know we've been asked uh, by a number of folks um, how that works because uh, they're super interested in that. If you could go a little bit into that and how that kind of works with the vortex uh, brewing. Uh, sure. Let's start with regular nutrient teas. Uh, with that, you put in an air bubbler into a vat. You put in certain nutrients, microorganisms, and things to start it in a liquid medium. And then you bubble in oxygen that um, over a certain period of time will increase the amount of microorganisms and also the microorganisms will predigest a lot of the little goodies in there that you put in in the starter mix and then you want to rush out in your garden and put it in your plants and the most valuable thing with that is you're introducing microorganisms because microorganisms are way more important than fertilizers or any other nutrition you can give your plants they're the little worker bees and they're the ones that uh, predigest everything to make uh, nutrients readily available to root systems. So um, the nutrient tea folks, and, and I was one of them. We would have, I would have told you a few years back that you want to hurry up and put apply the nutrient tea when it's fresh because the the bacteria and soil organisms will not, um, they'll start dying off and you want them alive. So 
now let's go to the next stage of nutrient teas using a vortexer. Yeah. Um, Victor Schauberger was the originator of, uh, not the originator, but the, the, the notable that helped people in, uh, with technologies as well as agriculture understand the importance of a vortex because he was a forestry person and in Austria and spent his life just watching streams and things. And by the way, in uh, Austria, they have a lot of his um, understanding that's applied to waterways uh, where they actually groom the bottom of uh, aqueducts and, and even river systems in order to um, carry out the principles that he discovered. And it allows them to transport water to areas where they wouldn't be able to without mechanical devices and engines and things and and just with uh, creating these vortex systems things just kind of go on their own okay back to the vortex yeah. machine uh it's based on those principles that schauberger first uh, put out there and now university of south carolina uh took up research uh understanding in their ag department they understood the importance of nutrient teas and then they also applied the vortex principles. Now I've got one where I can make, uh, you can get bigger units, but with what I do here and I like to make small batches and it just takes 24 hours. It takes a, a little pump. I uh, should have had a pitch or something. Just, you know, like a, a pond pump mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, uh, aerates and that sort of thing for bubblers or filter systems. It's kind of a little uh, separate system like you'd have uh, built into a swimming pool or something. And um, that feeds uh, a little a more higher volume of oxygen in than the old kind of bubbler systems. And then you have this big kind of like a funnel, um, like, like this, like a cone with the uh, apex more at the bottom. And sorry, I'm away from my mic. And yes. then you um, pour in nutrient teas now. Uh, the Vortex people of South Carolina, they actually came up with some pretty good formulas that I like, and I'm just using them exclusively now. It's all organic and all that kind of good stuff, but they really dialed in with their research department. This is kind of neat where universities and institutionalized stuff does help sometimes, even though they lead us astray most of the time, but they have, you know, big budgets and facilities. So, so there it's, it's, you know, they put out some good stuff sometimes. So they figured out the exact proportions of uh, goodies to put in the nutrient tea. Okay. So you put it in, you fill it up. Mine's 35 gallons, which makes it about, you know, uh, four feet high and, you know, three feet wide. You turn on the bubbler and then it just creates a natural vortex. There's no engine in there. It's just the way inside there's tubes that feed the oxygen in the water in an array that creates a vortex. And just within a minute of putting it on, it's that thing's just cranking pretty good. Now, the neat thing about the vortex versus the old bubblers is you make bacteria and uh, beneficial organisms much more readily and exponentially in greater numbers because the vortex, besides the air that's just being pumped in, the vortex itself creates an oxygenation. And then these little buggers in there, it's like they're on steroids and you get way more of them. Now, the neat thing is 
is you can keep the vortex going and um, just take a little more every day, maybe top off some water. Now, in the old bubbler system, well, they'd say, well, the, you know, you've got guys dying in there and, and you want to use them right away and not just have it going for a week. Well, what uh, South Car- University of South Carolina found out is that the uh, microorganisms themselves, when they die, they actually, the casings, you know, they're actually little microscopic bodies, create uh, really good things in the soil. Now, when you pick up soil and it, good soil and it has kind of a waxy feel hmm. uh what that is is it's uh, the the dead microorganisms that after they do their job of pre-digesting for plants then uh they create a softness in the soil that also makes the soil more permeable to you know for hydration and for receiving nutrition so dead bacteria are good the good thing about the vortex unit is uh, because you've got way more organisms being produced, you're also putting in the, the uh, elements of the dead organisms that create the beneficial qualities to the soil. But then every moment you've got live organisms that are you know, reproducing. So when you put that nutrient tea in, you have the pre-digested nutrient that came from the starter uh, um, uh, goodies in the first place. Uh, you have uh, a, an abundance of dead organisms for soil condition and um, just conditioning. And then you have way more, uh, not even close, way more alive bacteria as little worker bees as compared to the old nutrient teas. Wow. That's and really cool. nutrient teas in general, vortex being way, way up there, the next evolution are the best way to fertilize your plants because you're not trying to put in gobs of nutrition and, and, you know, and all these things. And even if it's organic, it screws up the topsoil and it affects the micronage, uh, which is the electrical properties of the soil, which is more important than the actual, what we think of as the, the chemistry of the soil. And, you know, back when, um, uh, before we moved up here three years ago to start this farm, uh, we had another one down in the Lost Coast in Humboldt County. And uh, we came up here because our vision and our operation outgrew the property we were at. It was really neat down there. We were on Riverside and had a, a you never saw that spot, Mike. I wish you oh. would come up. But it was, uh, it was amazing. And, and we really had it, you know, it became a destination. But this place, even though it's in more of a raw state now, we're well into the development of it, and it's going to give us uh, much less limitation and, and potential. And it's just much more pristine, you know, because the Smith River's uh, uh, a lot cleaner than one we're at down there, even though it was nice and everything. And also down there, we're in the middle of the Emerald Triangle, which is why I brought this up in the first place, you know, which was uh, days before legalization. Murder. So, Murder Mountain, baby. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we were always in the middle of cannabis wars and we were the only ones that weren't growing cannabis in the area. We were growing medicinal herbs. I was actually trying to teach those people how they could make more money and do better things growing medicinal herbs because they kept growing more and more weed every year and they're just growing themselves out of a paycheck, you know, and until at the end there, uh, it, you know, the price kept dropping and everything. But anyway, different story. 
the old weed growers, which is the point of the story, were of course just trying to force feed their plants to get their buds to market. So it was all about more nitrogen, yeah. you know, and, and you know, playing that whole game and triggering the budding and light depth and so forth. But they started really a lot of them started getting clued into the nutrient teas, how they'd actually get better growth with the old fashioned balder nutrient teas. Well I was gonna say I right bet I was gonna say just in the in the terms of nutrients for eating food, I bet in the buds they get more crystalline and have a better overall, um, you know, ability to to have a better effect, if you will, psychoactively or whatever. Maybe I don't know. That'd be interesting to see. I've been told that, but I've never inhaled, so you'd have to talk to somebody else. Yeah, same same here. Uh, just just eating, uh, just ingesting. Um, yeah, that is really cool. Um, I, I think on our website, it would be really good to get more, and we will be developing out an entire website devoted to the co-op and the uh, AV Botanical Gardens and everything, and we'll have a lot more information on or to not only purchase and maybe we'll be wholesaling or uh, providing these Vortex machines, but also kind of uh, directions on how uh, to get into that and to do that because, you know, as a gardener myself here with my own on my own property and trying to get as much yield as I can for my family with my summer garden and my greenhouse over the fall and winter uh, these are things I personally want to start investing more time into um, you know because uh, what better is uh, what better to have than like super amazing food at your disposal whenever you want Yesterday, when my kids got out of school, we, I was working in the greenhouse and they came in and they were just snacking off uh, snow peas off the vine. It was amazing to see. Um, so, yeah, it's just, uh, it's so cool. And I want to yeah, get kids. Kids that have access to that. Uh, and I know every time your kids come over here and neighborhood kids come over, you know, the first thing they do is they beat feet to the berry patch and yeah. just start eating strawberries and and uh, things that are right off, ripe off the vine, even things like peas that they'd never dare touch if you gave them as a vegetable on their dinner plate, uh, they love it. And kids that have never been exposed to that, not only does it taste amazing, so they like it, but just the novelty of seeing something actually grow because most kids have never seen anything grow. Yeah, so your kids have an amazing opportunity. Yeah, and also, you know, for anybody, doesn't you don't need to be living on acreage out, and I mean, it helps to be off grid or somewhere in an amazing environment, free from a lot of the trappings of current city life. And we've discussed in previous videos how, if you know, in, in if the world wasn't so inverted, living in a city would be an amazing place with flowing gardens and rich libraries to visit and wonderful entertainment everywhere. Instead. Um, you know, as we have today, it's a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of strip malls and um, concrete and, um, and frequencies bouncing off dirty uh, electricity and dirty technology. But that being, even that being said, what better way to convert um, such a harsh landscape by doing urban farming and urban gardens? And uh, that's a whole series I would love to get into more. And there's some amazing people out there really pushing that. Uh, within their communities and to be able to grow your own in your little on a little plot in the middle of East LA or something is totally viable and doable. Just, it's just knowledge. It's really all it is. Yeah. There's a really cool guy up in 
Wisconsin, I don't know what city, I, I saw a YouTube video, and uh, he's in kind of a ghetto neighborhood, and he's got the greenhouses and everything going, and people that would normally be buying Skittles, you know, for breakfast at the local, uh, you know, neighborhood strip mall speedies or whatever. Uh, instead, they're bringing their bags to this guy and they get a bag of food for like, well, it'll feed their family for a week for a few bucks. They're all putting in time, you know, it's, it's caught on and, and everybody's cool. really feeling empowered by it. And they're uh, all chipping in and donating time and finding that their health is improving. Uh, they're also getting a major attitude adjustment just by growing their own things. And, you know, that's, that's happening more and more in a lot of cities now. And, yeah. and of course, you go down to L.A. Uh, and they had a, amazing community gardens going on in the heart of downtown L.A. there. And, uh, you know, good old Mad Maxine and other bureaucrats put the kibosh on it because, oh, my God, you don't want inner city people empowering yourself or, you know, uh, not buying stuff at the local store anymore. So uh, there's been pushback by bureaucrats, politicians to stifle this, not everywhere, but in some areas like L.A. And, you know, L.A. just crazy. I wonder what happens to be. What was the justification behind that? Because. You think there'd be no, no better PR move by, especially the Democratic Party, than empowering urban, you know, inner city folks with growing their own food. I mean, that seems like a, yeah. a no-brainer PR move. You know, it just shows yeah. just Well, how- you and I know very well the real agenda at play, and, and don't get me started on that. <laughs> well, that, so, and uh, it also yeah. doesn't help to have big agra and stuff probably, you know, fill in their pockets as well. Yeah. But- there's even exactly. a bigger, bigger thing than that. But yeah, even where some of our, um, our partners involved, your son, for example, who lives in Venice Beach, they actually do have a pretty cool community coalition that um, provide uh, raised beds outside of apartments and yeah. condos. And you walk around Venice Beach, um, you know, dodging uh, feces and, and homelessness uh, while walking around million dollar two bedroom apartments but you do see those boxes out there now. And I mean, like Zach Galifianakis is out there tending to his, which is pretty funny. But so, yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing little bright, bright spots of this happening. And um, through something like our co-op and other um, like-minded companies out there pushing these concepts, we can have a renaissance and we are moving towards that. That is definitely happening. People are there's only so long that we can continue moving down this path towards um, complete and total annihilation. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty wild. I grew up in Orange County, California, which is just basically a concrete jungle now. I always called it a suburban wasteland of strip malls and fast food chains and uh, 7-Elevens. And it can get depressing when you're driving through uh, miles and miles and miles of this stuff where it's just big box corporate, um, you know, strip mall filled uh, neighborhoods and track housing. And um, man, it just gets crazy. But imagine just throwing in a, a garden uh, and having people, having kids, you know, garden in every house uh, and having kids out there with their little farm stand selling their fresh produce instead of running to 7 Eleven to get a Slurpee. 
you know it's um oh um yeah and then there's the uh everybody should look at that youtube video it's the pasadena house it's called the urban homestead or something like that you can find it in in a youtube search and it's this pasadena family they're in old pasadena they're not in the mansion side of town and uh they've just got a little postage stamp size and they've got a, a house um with very limited yard space and they not only are self-sufficient themselves but they've got goats and chickens and and uh every single inch is brilliantly designed you know like going up in the air and in every which way to maximize yield and they have uh abundant produce where they take it to farmers markets they have a mail order business where they send fresh produce all over the place uh, right from their house as well as other byproducts from everything they do and when you're watching this video and you're just panning in on certain areas of this small little space they have you you swear that you're in this just total jungle farming area hmm. so it it it's really encouraging because it does show what people can do in a very limited space and um, they've been doing this for a lot of years and they've become pretty well known for it. They've uh, got books out, all sorts of things. Yeah. And I look forward to seeing the AV botanical gardens flourish like that, because I know we want to really um, maximize uh, the land using permaculture and stuff to kind of, uh, you know, to make it, it's just, I, I tell you, there's nothing better than walking through a super lush, well-designed garden right where it's just you feel the energetics of it behind the creativity of the of the creators behind behind it um nature flowing uh the rapid uh increase of insect life i mean just right about now as my raised beds start to take off and um you know it's just all the different bees floating around and little insects and my kids going through um picking stuff it's just i like to just sit out there put a chair out there and just kind of read a book and stuff and be in a garden. It's just, I mean, that's why I guess, you know, there's the garden of Eden where we all came from. It's just the natural state of things. Um, so yeah, there's nothing better than walking through a, just a, a beautifully designed flourishing garden. Um, that's something it's I amazing. want to work on. Yeah. Work on, on our property too. So super fun. It is do. amazing how the creatures start finding you as soon as you start, you know, working with the land. Uh, we are flourishing here and people that uh, were here like three years ago when we first uh, got the property, they come back now and they're amazed at how changed it is. And uh, so we're, we're already have viable crops that allow us to uh, manufacture all of our Jagulan teas and, you know, plenty. I've, I have stuff left over now. And with this year, with the expansion, uh, we're actually going to start making a mark on the um, Jiao Gulan community out there that buys all their stuff from Asia. Uh, and even the organic stuff over there is tainted and ours are hand-picked leaves. We could go into all those things. Could, you, makes ours could, could you briefly go just ahead. explain to the folks out there that don't know what Jiao Gulan is? Just give them an idea oh, yeah. where, with the history and where it comes from and what our whole um, kind of uh, strategy is based around that. Yeah, the um, botanical name is gynostemma. And um, 
Jiao Gulan is the Asian name for, um, you know, it's used as a medicinal herb. And in Asia, they say it's like ginseng root, only better now. Ginseng root is in a major adaptogenic root, and it's, it's an amazing, wonderful medicine. But it takes at least three, four years in the ground just to get a young root that starts to get anything good. And then really the best are when the roots are 10 years old. And places in the um, country here where people go out and try to wildcraft, dig up these roots, you know, it, now it's prohibited because there's, there's none left and people are starting to rape the landscape. And uh, the biggest culprits were Asians because in China, uh, you know, they have a big shortage. So they come over here and, you know, roam through the forest and everything. So forestry people are trying to put a stop to it, especially in the uh, forest in the East Coast there. And um, so ginseng in its mature state is very beneficial. We could talk uh, for a long time about all the things, but Jiao Gulan has everything, all the exact constituents as ginseng root, only more of the same. And the neat thing is, is in a Jiao Gulan leaf, the, um, the, the leaf is the best tasting and the most nutrient dense uh, part. That's the part we use exclusively. The stems uh, do have a lot of nutrition in them. They're a little more bitter. So for our teas, we make it a little more select and just do the hand-picked leaves. Yeah. That's my meditation is going out and picking leaves. It's kind of sweet, uh, though. So when anyway, it's like ginseng, only better. And in, uh, yeah. sorry, Mike, uh, in Asia, they call it the, the tea of immortality, uh, immortality because uh, they, you know, who knows, but their old saying is drink gin, um, Jiao tea every day and you live to 100 years old. And, you know, they're big believers in it. And when we were buying our stuff from Asia that was certified organic, we started doing third-party testing and it was coming back tainted with pesticides and things. So that's where seven years ago we decided to start growing it. It took me six years in the prior location to really get it dialed in. And then uh, three years here because every piece of land is different. And now it's growing even better than the old place. And so, so that's why we decided to expand this year. We said, okay, we, we know how it works on the land. We know how to grow the stuff and, um, and do it right. So we've got all new trellises that I'm constructing as we speak and, and getting our final planting done, uh, hopefully by mid June. But either way, we've got the old stuff from on the other part in the original orchard that we uh, groomed uh, three years ago, our first year, and it's growing like gangbusters there. And just that alone will supply us with our company needs. Yeah, and I was going to say, it's kind of got, well, it's kind of got a mate vibe to the taste, would you say, a little earthy? But when I, when I actually take it right off the vine, it's actually very sweet when you chew on it. It's kind of like a sweet tart flavor you know to it. it it's almost like a stevia taste only not as quite of a bitter aftertaste i don't know if you've ever had just straight jagulon tea i know you've had our mixes that we sell on the website which is a combination of guayusa which is a a, a mate uh yeah. variation only that's better usually mate. what i drink and then I'm a we caffeine. mix that yeah. <laughs> yeah well it's a nice type of caffeine uh, but then it's um, 
mixed with the Chao Gulan, so you get all the, the mate kind of effects, um, which has a lot of nutrition, good qualities, by the way. And then you also have uh, the Chao Gulan, which makes it a real medicinal tea, but you get more of the mate with a little bit uh, of maybe a little uh, just softening of the, uh, of the pure mate. Yeah. So I need to really, you know what, one thing I'd love to get into is just doing Jiao Gulan uh, with some lemon or something in the morning. Cause that's kind of already what I'm doing is lemon water, you know? Um, so it'd be great to add the Jiao Gulan and I need to get some, go come up and get some. Um, but uh, yeah, it's surprisingly sweet. It kind of um, tastes a little bit like wood sorrel. If you've ever had that, which is a favorite, little snack my boys eat when we walk through the redwoods it grows like it grows everywhere it's a little edible in the forest here it's kind of got that sweet pungent um flavor can't to- say i've had wood sorrel as of late but <laughs> well just a little tip if you're ever uh, stranded in the redwoods uh it grows everywhere and you can eat it along with um uh there's uh, uh ginger that grows wild ginger and um, uh, mushrooms, of course, so much bioavailable food just right here. And uh, since we live in the Redwood, well, I live close and to the medicine. Redwood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And medicine everywhere. Um, uh, all sorts of wonderful mushrooms grow around here, which is something I would love to get into more. And we, I have a lot of friends that go, uh, you know, go deep into the woods here, harvesting those. And I haven't quite done the education yet, but um, being able to source mushrooms is wonderful. And um, yeah, we could do a whole three hours on, on fungi and, and everything that goes along with that. But, um, uh, the Jalgu lawn, agri- go ahead. Our community, go ahead, Mike. Sorry. I was just going to say the Jalgu lawn, um, is, uh, something that I think, uh, isn't, hasn't really hit the West. There's a few more of like the hippie cats that hang out here that actually know about it. And, um, and actually, I need to connect you with a guy here who wants to buy pounds of it from us. But um, yeah, getting uh, that education process through the West. And uh, so I think Jiao Gulan should be a household name uh, for people because it is such an amazing longevity herb. And we'll be selling Jiao Gulan starts uh, not this week, but in a couple weeks after our planting, we'll have some leftover. We'll put in... Uh, pots and sell them at the farmer's market with everything. You know, uh, our agricultural uh, community work, because we do a lot of teaching and volunteer work, uh, we interface a lot with the local Native Americans here, which is the Talawa Nation. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're very distinct because when you walk around, when you go into town around here, you'll see a lot of them and they have the the three tattoos. on their lower lip going all the way down the, the, um, the chin. And, you know, people that aren't familiar with this area, they'll come up and visit and see them, and they just think it's some kind of new red, uh, you know, sort of punk tattoo or something. But, no, that's, that's the traditional Talawa, and they, they still do that. But uh, interfacing with them. Oh, and, and uh, we had uh, some at your local farmer's market in Gasky just last weekend that were yeah. doing some, uh, selling some handcrafts yeah. and, and Talawa things. Yeah. I, I grew out with a lot of the Talawa and the Yurok too, which is the tribe in Klamath. 
uh, the Talawa, um, the history of the Talawa is fascinating. You know, I think it's the second largest massacre uh, in the history of the United States. The second largest Native American massacre was up here when the Talawa would not, they Just, were, they weren't messing around. Grotesque, gnarly. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they weren't, they weren't going to um, cave into uh, those impeding on their land. And um, they, uh, they definitely put up a great fight. And actually, there's a story of Jedediah Smith. So we're on the Smith River, which is named after Jedediah Smith, the great explorer, who um, was the first, I guess, the first European or um, uh, that actually on foot made his way. Uh, into this area, up through the Redwoods, into Oregon, um, preceding the Oregon Trail and everything. Of course, he was he was a badass. And um, he came up with the crew up through this area and met head-on with the Talawa, and they wiped, it, they wiped him out, except for, I think, he and, and one other guy were able to escape. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there's some fascinating history up here, but the Talawa have a great tradition uh, and, and are very uh, autonomous still in um in respect to their culture and everything but even they explain that and they now it's yeah and it was the same with the metol um uh natives uh back at our old place just south here in humboldt county it's funny you don't hear much about the northern anything about the northern california tribes or the oregon tribes and they happen to be like you said the most resistant fierce warriors that just wouldn't take crap from anybody uh, unfortunately, they couldn't withstand the ravages of, you know, uh, the, the, you know, what they were up against. And that's another whole history. Who was behind the genocide? Well, it's not just the settlers that came in and said, oh, we don't like those people. And there's no excuse for genocide. And it's happening in different places in the world today as we speak. But the same forces uh, or let's just say vested interests that were inciting <clears throat> these atrocities back then um, are the same ones that are inciting it today globally as we speak. So people really need to be educated because, you know, there's, uh, I, I worked uh, you know, with some Native Americans and some other more politically oriented uh, affairs in the years past. Uh, Russell Means, who was uh, very involved with Ames, the American Indian Movement, uh, his famous saying is that we're all on the reservation now. And that's true. You have to understand behind the scenes, the vested interests that have been pushing these agendas on the people of the world and just... Uh, committing horrible uh, acts against humanity we have to know what we're up against because it's not one race of people against another race of people or one race that's responsible for bad things because every single race has been played against the other and when it behooves these people um, behind this to use uh, one particular group of people or make another group of people expendable, they do it. They don't care. They have no allegiance to anything. So we really have to get off this thing where everybody's at each other's throats, identify the real culprits 
And when you come up here, there's a real reason why you haven't, you, where you don't watch Westerns and hear about the Talawa, the Yurok, and the, and the Matola Indians. And it's because uh, they weren't completely conquered, even though they're greatly decimated. But they are making uh, a return and, and rebuilding now when, these, when you're up in these areas. And their mark in the community and the local culture is unmistakable, which is nice. Uh, when you come up here, it's not just like you're traveling through Arizona and buy little turquoise curios, you know, made by the local Navajo or something who are sequestered out on a, you know, conquered and, and on a con uh, on a horrible third world situation on a reservation uh, up here. People are starting to thrive again and we get to, you know, interact a lot in the community. But the reason why I brought the, um, Talawap in the first place is we're learning a lot of uh, traditional plant medicine and herbology. So that was the point of the story that uh, took us in a whole bunch of different places. Well, yeah. And I think one thing to really take from this is the fact that most have no concept of real history and that's intentional. And that goes back to, um, you know, th those who don't want us to know this history so they can maintain the control. And, uh, you know, the Native American uh, history is just fascinating. We don't know much about the actual, you know, real heritage of where they came from. And we're told, you know, the Bering Strait, and they came from Asia. And new studies have shown that a lot of that is just completely BS. And, total crap. you know, there's some fascinating stuff about uh, uh, you know, uh, where really where North, the, the, the real history of North America and how ancient it really is and the great traditions that it comes from. And this goes back to Atlantis and all sorts of really interesting, uh, ideas here. And I, I've just been, I just keep lately keep going back to Atlantis and, and guys like Casey and Steiner and, of course, shout out to my favorite YouTube channel, The Dark Journalist. And, you know, going into these, the history of these mystery schools and all these things, this, this really starts to provide a lot of light into why the, the world is as it is. And it answers a lot of those questions for people who just can't wrap their head around why there would be some sort of like evil that is trying to enslave humanity, if you will. Well, it's really actually quite simple to understand once you know the real history. And, um, and so, yeah, that is something that um, for me as a history major that I went to, you know, UC Santa Barbara and went through that whole indoctrination, um, I'm super passionate about and left and right buying as many old books as I can from a lot of these great uh, real historians and from these mystery schools, because that was really the whole point of the mystery schools was to maintain this secret ancient knowledge um, of what really where humanity comes from and all that. So getting it all, all out in the open as we move forward is going to be crucial in the, um, the great awakening and helping people really not only know where they come from, but also improve their, um, their, their locality around them. So this is a great mission of ours and something that we're always integrating to everything we do. The, the dark journalist is something I'd recommend to anybody. And I found him, oh, maybe a year or so ago. And, and it's funny, I never talked about him to you, Mike, 
And then you independently found him, and, and then he's become both of us our favorite uh, thing to tune into. I, I'm a member of his site and the Patreon and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, just great. And by the way, uh, uh, right in this vein, just I think yesterday he aired, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. He aired his interview with Graham Hancock. Yes. Now, Graham Hancock is an amazing historian and archaeologist, and he's the guy that will show you along with a lot of others that that have uh you know are doing similar kind of work but he's one of my favorites i I like a lot of the russian school too but graham uh has shown very clearly how like in north america alone uh civilizations predating who we think the uh native americans are you know in their present uh state you know yeah there's been a lot of people that have come and gone on the North American continent. And uh, so, and this isn't um, taking exception with any group of people because, hey, we're all from somewhere and there's this dangerous trend where people like to try to out-local the other people and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But hey, we're all sharing the same planet. And again, if we knew our history we'd all get along a lot better and we'd all be more empowered if we knew our history. So, um, well, yeah, yeah I gotta, I gotta get that book. Weren't the first ones, you know, that, here. That new, yeah. That new Graham Hamm, I got to get his new book. Cause that's all about North America. And I heard it's just yeah. fascinating. I got to listen wonderful. to that interview too, that, um, uh, and DJ just put out, but, um, yeah, and, no, and it's, it's, yeah. it's wild that, um, you know, we always talk about Africa and we talk about the Middle East and uh, living here in the United States where we literally can go um, go hike around and find amazing ruins here uh, that predate a lot of that stuff. So it's just, it's yeah. wild how um, a lot of this history has been covered up. Yeah. And a lot of good conversations for the future. Maybe a couple final words on a co-op. So we touched on the fact that we're adapting a co-op structure. If uh, anybody has a hard time understanding what that is, think of your local health food store co-op. Now, different than a regular health food store, you go in, anybody can shop there. But if you want to become a member, then you know you get to go in and get discounts on Tuesday and get little newsletters and that sort of thing. So there's certain benefits to being a member of the co-op. Our co-op, is uh, based uh, on an agricultural hub. Then it has uh, two arms. It has a humanitarian arm, and it also has a, a commercial arm. And a co-op, uh, different than a business structure that is nonprofit, they are self-funding, so they are allowed to make money. But also, unlike just a regular corporation, they can engage in uh, making money and self-fund themselves or fund themselves so that they don't have to rely outside of themselves, which allows a greater degree of autonomy as far as guiding your own ship and staying true to your mission. Now we have a steering committee, which you and I are two of the members and the steering committee would be like a board of directors. And, uh, we're implementing our vision. It's been in the works for, I don't know if you want to go back to our original roots. We're probably going back 40 years and, and it's, you know, more through different, uh, everything from agriculture, uh, medicine, and, and a number of other things to get to this present state where we have a very clear-cut mission statement. 
uh, not just a mission statement on paper, but it's already implemented uh, in all the community work that we do, uh, all the, you know, the products that we make, the farming that we do, the teaching that we do. So it's, it's a real thing. It's not just talking about, oh, here's what we'd like to do. Now, unlike a health food store co-op where you just get discount Tuesday or seniors get a, a certain discount, uh, members in our site will help fund our operation. But what a member for a very nominal membership fee will get back is a lot more than just discount Tuesday. You'll get access uh, that will be developed over these next few months and, and, and the next year where you'll get educational content. Uh, you know, I have things that I've been working on for a, a long time, things like books on diet, which, by the way, uh, you'll never need another diet book or uh, you'll never need to hop on another trend. It will tell you everything you need to do from a much uh, more in-depth perspective. So we'll make things like that available. Uh, uh, we'll have a lot of fun video content. You'll get video updates of uh, what's happening up here on the ground, uh, what's happening with the community. And also um, a lot of people elsewhere that aren't parts of the steering committee, but are within our circle circles of influence that uh, are in levels of science and agriculture and medicine uh, and people that are really making a huge difference in the world because rather than just sitting around wringing our hands and saying, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, we're doing something about it. And the membership model will allow people as it, as, uh, it develops. And Mike, this is your technological uh, you know, know-how that'll get this all on the internet over the next few months. Uh, you know, it'll give you a lot of perks and allow us to thrive and achieve our mission, which is way beyond selling nutritional products that we manufacture or things that we grow, uh, which are absolutely phenomenal on a level beyond anything that's out there in the market. I'm, you know, and I'm just not even saying that from a commercial standpoint, it's just a fact. And so, uh, that's just how we can realize our mission and do it by sharing, you know, a lot of the things that we've created and a lot of things we know. So yeah. the Physic Garden Co-op Alpha Vedic is a commercial arm of it. Yeah. And it's, it's all about empowerment. So through this, we can empower people to be more autonomous and self-sufficient to grow their own food and create uh, hubs in their own community based around gardens, which is super crucial. You know, um, as we move into more of a global village, we need to think locally, we need to be locally sustainable. It's the only way to go. And we're going to incorporate, you know, the legacy that I wanna leave for me personally is that I'm, I'm, I've really jumped into blockchain and crypto the last few years. I feel like it's the future. Um, to be able to automate in a decentralized manner society so that there are no um, centralized figures making the core decisions about what's most important. Yes, we are all creators and we all need to have individual autonomy and we need, there's certain aspects that will always require an individual soul to lead. That is of course true. However, things like the way uh, civics works and the way food source works and the way decision-making on that, it should be all for the benefit of the entire global community. 
And that needs to be managed and maintained by the community itself, by humanity. And there are technologies now out there that will allow for this to happen in literally like a Star Trek type scenario. And what I mean by that is that we can have decentralized autonomous organizations that will maintain super stru uh, specific structures based upon consensus of the of of um, individuals. And I'm not talking about purely democracy because we know mob rule is never good. Um, this is why, like the founders of the United States, created the con you know took the idea of what a republic is, so that you have the educated and those who have the best interests uh, of the individual. Uh, so that you don't have mob rule taking the rights of an individual, right? It's all about individual rights. So we, we're able to maintain those concepts, but without a centralized, um, uh, you know, authority, because with any centralized authority, uh, we find that you have corruption and you have the ability to um, basically create despotism that way. So these technologies are super empowering and amazing. And what we can, what I want to do um, with Alpha Vedic is to create a communal platform uh, in the co-op where, once we're gone, it's still thriving. And 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 you know, yes, our my kids will take take over the commercial side and we'll be able to profit off um, uh, off our efforts. But also the the community aspect will flourish and not be you know some sort of centralized system, but. Um, you know, something that will allow for it to prosper for generations to come. So these are the kind of things that are super exciting and um, what really get me out of bed every day. And using Alpha Vedic as a platform to push these, these new paradigm shifting uh, revolutionary technology and stuff is a great way to go because uh, what, you know, people really get passionate about health and wellness because it's so crucial and it's a great platform to use to um, spread these other ideas as well, which are all playing into our health and our wellness is, you know, how our govern local governance works. We're seeing that right now uh, everywhere uh, because right now governments are paid and bought by petrochemical big pharma companies and they're pushing agendas that are contrary to um, our health and wellness. And so we need to be able to take all this power back and what better way than to uh, do it uh, through these new technologies that will supersede the old paradigm of uh, centralized control. So that's what really excites me and stuff that we're working on as well. So yeah, the co-op will, you know, I envision immediately having a forum for all the members and, you know, like an old school forum, um, they're great. And we're kind of moving back in that to that in many ways. I'm seeing it in crypto. I'm seeing a lot of things getting back to the forums where we have these virtual communities where people can have discussions and bring up techniques and ideas. Uh, we'll have special catered videos and then doing the D live stuff. Um, we'll, you know, as we, as this grows, we'll probably do um, private um, or even just using a platform like zoom here where we'll do monthly um, co-op uh, webinars where we'll have individuals on that are specialists in their areas ranging from health and wellness to farming to athletics to training to uh, technologies education uh etc uh and also 
you know, do fun events and stuff for the co-op too. Cause we're all about having fun. Like I've been a DJ for 20 years. I play, I like to party and have fun um, as much as anybody. And so by having, you know, fun uh, cooperative uh, events too. Uh, and so just tying it all in, it's all about community and about uh, growing together so that we can have a vibrant future for uh, the next generation. Sounds good. Ditto. <laughs> so Mike, okay, well, I, I got to get back to work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any we, we, final we, things or? Uh, yeah. So once again, just thanks for uh, those who have tuned in on D live. Um, we'll be doing this every week, building up uh, our following. Please subscribe to us on, on D live uh, on YouTube as well. We will post this. We post this live stream every day on YouTube at four o'clock Pacific standard time. Please follow us. Uh, hit the like button, do all that fun stuff. It, it helps um, it helps others uh, discover us. Uh, we're on Telegram. You can find us on Telegram, t.me forward slash Alpha Vedic. Um, you can go to our website and see all of our social links. Please join the virtual community. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be doing a lot more uh, on those channels as we spread this information and you know work towards um, bringing Alpha Vedic to more people across the globe. So thanks for watching, and um, I look forward to seeing you tomorrow, Bear, at Farmer's Market. Cheers, everybody. Thanks.